Today's scripture is Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are, are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. <laughs> DC said, the heck with you guys put me over there to read scripture. <laughs> and sadly, many of you thought, wow, Ricardo looks buffer. <laughs> you guys are wrong for that. Uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors. Uh, glad you guys can be here with us this morning. Uh, we're going to be continuing our series in Romans, and so if you have a Bible, why don't you meet me in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand and keep it raised high, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. Just go ahead and hold your hand. If you're in one of the overflow rooms, just keep it held high, and you'll get a copy. Again, that's Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Um, as you turn there, <clears throat> I want to bring something to your attention. This upcoming Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we are having our second annual uh, junior high and senior high heights winter camp in Flagstaff. And so here's what I'm letting you know. One, you can continue to buy pastries and help donate uh, for uh, kids to go to camp and to be praying for all who are going. That means volunteers, leaders, uh, the Vicuravages who oversee our junior and senior high ministry, and then I myself will be going along with them and uh, teaching. And so looking forward to being with our students, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So what that means is next Sunday, you guys have the treat of hearing from Sean Myers, who is in the, at the Redemption Arcadia congregation. He will be preaching here, and you won't want to miss it. My personal opinion is he's the most passionate fiery preacher we have in all of redemption. And he would hate me for saying this, but I, I could. Um, think Eminem as a preacher, right? <laughs> and so that's basically what it is. Like, you're, you're going to see him next week and you're like, oh yeah, totally. That's shady right there, right? <laughs> Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now here's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We are looking at the topic of adoption. Uh, the theological top, a topic of adoption of God himself adopting us into his family. Now, now here's what I know is that many of us, as soon as we talk about the idea or teaching of God being our father, that, that we go, I don't know about that. Like, I know the Bible teaches that, but my experience is with, with my dad or my lack of experience with my dad, it's hard for me to really see God as my father. So I, I love that he's ruler, I love that he's judge, and I love that he's forgiven me and his son Jesus, and I can believe in Jesus and my sins are forgiven. I love that. But when we start talking about God as our father, I just can't relate to that. Let me kind of give you two stories. First story is a story of my wife and her upbringing. Um, my wife, Holly, she grew up in an incredible home. 
um, with a loving mother and a loving father who both loved each other, who both loved Jesus, who shared the gospel with them, um, her and her brother. Her dad was there with her, helped her, um, encouraged her. When it came to her athletic career, all the way throughout high school and all the way throughout college, like her dad was her biggest fan, never pushing her, always encouraging her. Uh, and I said, your dad probably encouraged you too much in sports. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, your dad got you a gym membership when you were in sixth grade. That's dedication, I guess. Um, so good, really, really, really good upbringing. I mean, love my father-in-law, and that's her upbringing. My upbringing was, was different. Um, I didn't grow up in a family where my dad taught me Jesus. My mother did, but my dad didn't. Um, my dad and I's relationship from the time I was six or seven was just strained, and it was constantly strained. And the older I got, the more and more I grew bitter towards him. And there were, there were things that, that he did to us and to our family that to me, I'm like, this is never going to be able to be forgiven. Now, I'm not going to just lay out my dad's sins here, but he had issues. And we've since reconciled. But as a teenager, uh, basically up to when I was about 22 years old, it was just a clash I mean, just hatred, the things that I would say, the things that I would communicate about him. In fact, when it came to choosing a college, I knew that I wouldn't go to any college in California out of fear that he would want to come watch me play. Like, it was bad, real bad. I share that with you to say, here's my side, here's my wife's side, but no matter how good your earthly father is, or how bad or absent your, your earthly father is, both me and my wife, you all, need to understand God as our Father. Meaning, I think we do a disservice to God when we have good fathers and say, oh, God must be like that, because he's far greater. I think we also do a disservice when we have absent fathers and go, okay, I can't because of that, because then we, what we're saying is the Spirit is not powerful enough to teach me that. The way, the way I like it, and in some of a lighter way, is likened to is, is when somebody, a girl dates a guy who's a jerk, right? And that's like her first real relationship, and this guy was a jerk. I feel bad for the next guy, right? Like the next guy shows them, it's like, how are you doing? You're a jerk. You're just like every other dog I've ever met. And it's like, no, I'm not, I promise you, right? Like she transfers this hatred she has for this guy towards this other guy. And in some weird way, we look at our earthly fathers and we try to transfer it to God. But here's what I'm telling you. It doesn't matter your circumstance. It doesn't matter your upbringing. It doesn't matter what you had or what you didn't have, that the Spirit is the only one that can raise our affections for God as a Father. I'm not saying the Spirit is the best. The Spirit is the only one. The Spirit is the only one that can communicate to us the love for the Father. It didn't happen for me until I was uh, probably a year and a half into my walk with Christianity that God would not allow me to treat my Father the way that I had. That God would not allow me, because what we do, oftentimes, those of us in this room who have, have a, who have a strained relationship with our fathers, we wear it like a badge. And we, we're proud of ourselves in some ways, because, because we say, like, you know, I made it. I'm, I, I don't have daddy issues. Yeah, you do, right? <laughs> yeah, you do. It's all over you. Sometimes it's your arrogance. Sometimes it's your insecurity. But God wouldn't let me wear that as a badge anymore. And the reason why is because I would say things like, I love when the Bible talks about God being a father. I just can't relate to it. And it was really hard for me when I would go into like prayer groups with people from the church that I was going, and these, these girls, these 20-something girls would be praying like, Daddy, and I'm like, oh, stop it. You don't mean that, all right? <laughs> and it was just awkward for me because I wanted to know, I, can I have that? And honestly, so if you just want a recommendation, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, chapter 19. I read that chapter. It's called Sons of God. It changed my entire life. 
I'm not exaggerating. It changed my life to realize, oh my goodness, he's better than I thought. That the very apex of the gospel, justification is amazing. Being forgiven of sins is amazing. But the highest privilege of the, of the gospel is to know that God is our father. And when we understand that, it changes us. It changes who we are at the very core of our being because we are welcomed and accepted into the life and love of God by the Son to be experienced by the Holy Spirit. That's where Paul has us at this morning. That's where Paul's taking us. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, and you say, you want to know about Christianity, I believe this is one of the best messages you can hear about Christianity. So J.I. Packer in that book, Knowing God, when he begins to talk about Christianity, this ideal of adoption and Christianity, here's what he says. There should be a quote here on the screen. <laughs> I was going to say, he didn't write the scripture, but he did. <laughs> he did write this. You sum up the whole New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. And having God as his father, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. His point is, if you really want to understand Christianity, you have to understand what it means for God to be our father. And, and the good news is, it doesn't matter your background, and it doesn't matter your circumstances even now. What matters is that God has poured out his spirit and love into our hearts, that we may be able to understand this. And so as we look at these few verses, um, what the Spirit begins to communicate about adoption, I believe there's five things we're, we're going we're to see here, and we're going to walk through these. The first is privilege. The, the second that he lets us know is security. The third is intimacy. The fourth is assurance. And lastly is inheritance. And we'll walk all through those five. But first, start with me in verse 14. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Um, what I want to be able to do first is kind of tie in something we said last week, because to understand verse 14, we got to understand verse 13. What we ended on last week is talking about putting to death the desires of the flesh, or killing sin. And this is something that happens that we do empowered by the Spirit. What Paul does is basically says that there's a relationship between verses 13 and verses 14 that you cannot take them apart, meaning they're inextricably woven together. You have the, the imperative of verse 13, you do something, you put to death the desires of the flesh, but also the indicative in verse 14, which says that the Spirit is the one who's leading you. And so what Paul is saying is, in order for you to really understand and experience your adoption, you have to first be born of the gospel, that's something God does, that you have to begin to hate your sin, and then weed out and take away the things in your life that deaden your affections for God. Whatever those particular sins are that you had, remove those things. And then put more into your life the things that warm your affections for God. And that is all done with your work and the work of the Holy Spirit. We said we can't explain how it is. It's 100% of the Spirit and 100% of you. And now Paul says in verse 14 now, because you're led by the Spirit, that means you're a Christian, that you hate your sin, um, because you're led by the Spirit, the first thing he lets us know is there's a privilege that all doesn't matter your maturity level. doesn't matter your background. He says that all, essentially, if you are a Christian, you trust in Jesus, you're led by the Spirit. All who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Sons of God. The first thing is privilege. Privilege is something in our culture 
that we know nothing about unless somebody else tells us. Most of us don't grow up going, you know what? I lived a pretty good life. Usually we compare ourselves with somebody else and we go, oh, wow, that was, man, I guess things might have been pretty good for me. Or, or somebody else has to tell you something. Usually it's not even your parents. Your parents try to tell us, right? You know, you have this, you have this. It's like, whatever. And then like a youth pastor or somebody else tells you, and you go, oh, yeah, I totally agree with you. And parents hate that. Like as a youth pastor, when I was a youth pastor, parents used to, like, used to say, Ricardo, when you tell the students, my kids, they listen. But when I tell them they don't listen, I said, you don't have the gift? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it just worked. My kids are going to be the same way. I'm the preacher. They're probably going to be like, yeah, dad, sure. Youth leader comes along, you are so godly. Wow, where have you been my whole life? <laughs> Unfortunately, it's how it works, right? So when we did a First Wednesdays, probably three or four months ago, Tyler Johnson was here, and we were talking about biblical justice. And this particular topic was white privilege. And he began to talk about how he learned privilege as a kid was his dad told him. Now, Tyler Johnson, who's the lead pastor of All Redemption, his dad lives in Colorado, and his dad is probably the, one of the greatest, top two or three greatest high school baseball coaches ever. And that's just not just exaggeration. Like, he was inducted into the Colorado State Hall of Fame, and pretty soon will be inducted into the National Hall of Fame. He's coached for 40 years at the same high school. He's such a good coach. He doesn't just coach baseball. He coached 10 years of soccer and won state championships in that, too. It's ridiculous. And every time he talks, sorry, he puts his foot up like a coach, and he talks to you like that. I'm like, I thought we were about to eat dinner, right? <laughs> what he told Tyler is this. He says, when Tyler was on his baseball team, he said, hey, you, you need to know that these baseballs and these gloves and these bats that you receive, you only receive those because I'm your dad. P people give these to me because I'm the coach, and then you get these really nice things, really nice gloves, and really nice bats. You just need to know that all the other kids don't get that because I'm not their dad. No need to feel guilty about it. No need to try to give them away. Just, just know that. And what he was trying to communicate is that was a privilege that I had. And I need to know that I had that because I was a son of my father. What Paul is saying is if you trust in Christ, that you've been given the ability by God to believe in Jesus, that you are being led by the Spirit, that means every single person who believes in Jesus is a child of God, is a son of God. And that's a privilege because you were not born into that privilege. You see, the misnomer is we think that every single person is a child of God. The Bible nowhere teaches that. The Bible teaches that in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were by nature children of wrath. Um, children of wrath and being children of God are using that the same thing, right? God doesn't look at his kids and go, hey, little child of wrath, come over here, I love you, right? No, something happened. That there was a divine, sovereign, grace intervention in our life where God looked upon us in love and said, you will be a part of my family. That is a privilege. And the spirit of Christ begins to allow us to see that and to know that. We have what we have, not to feel guilty, but we, because of who our father is. And so if you're like me, you're going, okay, sons of God. Um, why isn't it sons and daughters of God? Um, why, why doesn't it say children of God? Now, some of you may have an NIV that says children of God. Um, I, I'm thankful that the ESV left it sons of God because here's what he's communicating here. Is in the Roman culture, let me explain to you adoption in the Roman culture. In the Roman culture, adoption worked like this. Um, it was a man who had lots of money, was very wealthy, but did not have an heir, a son. He needed to have a son to continue his name, continue his business. And so what he would do is he would look out into the community and he would find someone that he, fe he felt was qualified to take over his inheritance. Meaning this person had to have proven himself. And so most adoptions happened with adults. 
And there was four things that happened, is that you would get adopted, most likely as an adult, into this family. Um, that means all of your debt that you had previously was cleared, right? Can you imagine that? Like 35 years old, and all the debt you have, someone's like, I'll adopt you, I'll take it all, right? Every single one of us would be like, I'm signing up to be adopted like, today, right? Debt cleared. The second thing is your name would change, your status would change. You would take on the name of your new father. Um, third, any, anything that you were liable for, your father would take care of. And, and, and number five, there was an obligation. There was an obligation for you to continue into that business. And so Paul uses the word adoption, which was somewhat foreign in the Jewish culture. Um, you don't hear much about adoption in, in, um, in ancient Hebrew texts. However, speaking to a people in the Roman Greco world, Paul uses that language and says, you know what it's like, but it's different when God does it. Because in the Roman Greco world, they would find someone who had the potential, and then they would choose that person. God does not look at us and say, you have the potential, therefore, this is what you can do for me. Like, like, God is not going around trying to recruit the best family he can get so that he can go to some summer camp as a family and win all the sword drills, right? He says, no, he chooses us because he loves us in spite of us. He sees our situation and our debt, and he pays it by giving his son Jesus, and he washes us clean. That anything that we do now, he's liable for. And that we have the obligation being welcomed into his family as a privilege to live into kingdom principles in which God gives us by the Holy Spirit. So point number one that Paul says in this adoption, that the Spirit lets us know we have a privilege. And this is something that has been done by grace, that we are adopted into God's family because he loves us. Amen? I can never share this text enough, but in Deuteronomy, I always love it when it comes to God's ability to choose and he talks to the Israelites, and he says, I just want to let you know that I chose you, not because you were more in number, not because you were strong. And then he says, I chose you because I loved you. So he said, I loved you because I loved you. That's it. It is completely putting the weight and the, and the plan and the picture on God's love for us. That's a privilege. The second thing that Paul lets us know here, that the Spirit lets us know through this text, is not only do we have a privilege, but we also have security now. We have security before God, which is good because most of us are very insecure people. We really are. Verse 15 says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. Um, he says there's, there's kind of two fathers here, and there, there's the antithesis of two spirits. There is a father of lies who's Satan, the kingdom of darkness, that we were born into by nature, children of wrath. And what we've been talking about for the past several weeks is how God in himself and his love for us has now redeemed us out of that in Christ. Now we have this privilege of being in God's family. And we are no longer have a spirit of slavery, but we have a spirit of adoption. No longer a spirit of fear. Now you're saying, you don't have to fear God. Now, some of you go, wait a minute, the Bible says we should fear God. When you read through the Proverbs and you read through the Psalms and you read through the Scripture, and it says that we, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, it's talking about reverence about awe, about worship of who God is. What Paul is talking about now is that of a slave, someone who's afraid. It, it, it's, it's talking of maybe the employer-employee relationship where there's a contract that's there. You keep up to your end of the deal and I'll keep up to my end of the deal. It's not a relationship. It's talking like, sadly, many of us who had fathers that we, we knew could just explode at any moment. And so we find ourselves we found ourselves obeying to keep them off of our back. 
we knew our father had standards for us, and so therefore we found ourselves getting the best grades, being the best athletes, doing the best we can do in order that we may try to earn his approval. But we had the fear of maybe losing it. And Paul is saying, that's not what you have with God. And for the Jewish context that, that Paul was talking to, Jewish and Gentile, but for the Jewish people, they knew the law. And we spent weeks and weeks and weeks talking about the law. And they knew that if you didn't live up to the law, that God was holy. I mean, the, the Hebrew people believed in a, the holiness of God. And so they knew because he's holy, he's going he's gonna to blot out sin. And I'm a sinner. And so there was this fear of God's going to get me. Now, some of you have not grown up with the law, but you have that view of God. That God is somehow this divine father who's just constantly angry. And if it wasn't for Jesus who's saying, God, come down, God, come down, Dad, come down, that he's going to just come after us. Many of us, even though we would say we believe in the gospel, functionally, we don't believe in good news. That we really believe, functionally, that our standing before God is off what we've done. And so, therefore, we think God is going to come and strike us down or maybe do something to our children or maybe do something to someone we love because of something we've done in our past. Paul's saying, that's, that's, that's insecurity. This is a culture of insecure people. I think a lot of it really does have to do with a lot of us not having the fathers that the Bible describes here. A lot of it does have to do with the identity that we have not found completely and fully in Christ Jesus. And our insecurities, it shows itself in different ways. Some of us are really, really good at things. Some of us are really, really bad at things because we never try it because we're just, we're just afraid. Paul says that's not the spirit that you received. You received the spirit of adoption. Some of you relate to God only as judge, only as ruler, never as father. And, and there's a difference. So growing up in the, in the town I grew up in, there was a community that put their resources together and they, they bought, like they built this pool, but it was only for the people in this neighborhood. And so if you're a, a you know, junior high kid and you don't live in that neighborhood, you're willing to hop the fence to get into this really, really cool pool. I mean, this is like summertime in Laverne. It's kind of like the Sandlot. You know, Wendy Peppercorn was there, the whole deal. It was great, right? And so me and my friends would jump into the, over the gate to get into this pool to swim, and there was always this one guy, Roger, bald head dude, that would chase us out of there. Like, we'd be in there, and he'd come in, what are you guys doing? And we'd run. It was like a joke. It was like, ah, we got to run away from Roger again, right? Crazy Roger. We're afraid of Roger. And he was a dentist in the town, and we would see him and be like, oh, there's Roger. We get to our eighth grade promotion, which is a graduation for eighth graders, and he's there. And I'm like, what is Roger doing here, right? And I'm thinking, he's probably got a kid that's graduated. And now we're curious. Who is his kid, Right? We were going to beat their, no, I'm just joking, right? <laughs> like, who, who, who is Roger's kid? And we find out it's our friend Paige. We're like, no way. And we watch him with his daughters, and he's all smiling and laughing. We're like, that's not the Roger we've seen at the pool, right? And, like, he's this nice guy. In fact, his, his kids were Paige, Perry, and Polly. How nice is that, right? <laughs> like, like, that's just, like, the most oaky family in the world, right? And, and, and now, since Paige and I were really good friends, I ended up doing the wedding for Paige and doing the wedding for Perry, and Roger become, became to me like a father. I, mean, I knew him all throughout high school, still really good friends with him now, but the Roger I know is far different than the Roger I related to before. Um, because I've seen him as a father. I've seen the fullness of who he was. doesn't mean that he didn't judge. doesn't mean that he didn't have discipline for his kids. I, I think many of us, we see one attribute of God 
We may see his holiness. We may see his, that he's a judge. We may see him essentially, many of us, as like a divine police officer that's coming to get us because we've done wrong. The lights are always uh, shining, and either we're going we're gonna to stop and say, Lord, put our hands up, or we're going to just keep running how we ran away from Roger. The Bible gives us God as a father who gives us protection and who gives us security. Not only have we been welcomed into this family to have a privilege that we have as adopted children, but we've also been given a spirit of adoption, that we are a part of his family. He loves us supremely in the work of his son, Jesus. Yes, he's judge, but first and foremost, he's father, and he's our father. Amen? So you have privilege, and then you have this security. That we have a security of the spirit, we are, adopt, we are adopted in this family, and that's not going to change. And this next one is intimacy. This might be my favorite one. And this is, this is uh, the second part of verse 15. It says that we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And I love that there's an exclamation point there. Um, it says this is intimacy. This is being one with him. This is the closest relationship that you can have. I'm convinced that, that many of us don't have a relationship with God. I know you, wait a minute, I have a personal relationship with God. No, I think you have an agreement with God. And maybe you have a contract with God. Meaning, he did his part, he sent his son Jesus to die for your sins, all you have to do is believe in him and now obey, and it works. He did his part, then you do your part, and it's just kind of this, this nice little relationship, but it's really more of like an agreement or a contract. And there's not a whole lot of intimacy there, like, I want to be with him. It'd be like me go to Holly every single morning and be like, hey, here's the deal. You're still my wife today. I'm still your husband. Everything's good. Here's what you need to do. All right? And then I'll do these things, and we'll be great. Cool? Cool? Knuckles? All right. See you later. Right? (laughs) We're good. We're good. Um, Having a relationship with someone is being transparent before that person. It's giving yourself to that person. How many of us have honestly cried, Abba, Father? But Paul's not saying it's a whisper. He's saying it's a cry. It's a cry. Grown men cry. Grown women cry. And they cry to their dad. That, that word Abba there is Aramaic. And it, it would be translated for us in just an endearing language. We would say daddy. We would say papa. We would say pops. Whatever is the closest language that you can have to somebody. And hear me, it's even hard for me to say that. It really is, because I just call my dad by his first name most of the time. And so the thing about calling me, I'm 31 years old, I can't look at another grown man and be like, what's up, daddy? No, that seems weird, right? But no other guy is like my father. And no other guy could ever be like my father. So I can cry out, Abba, Father. And you know what? Who was the most masculine man to ever walk this earth? Jesus. And how did Jesus pray? Abba, Father. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people, they, ne- they didn't even say the name of God. It was too holy. They didn't want to say it. They didn't want to mess it up. And then Jesus comes on the scenes, and his disciples say, hey, can you teach us how to pray? He doesn't start by saying, hey, confess your sins first. He doesn't say, hey, do a few things before you come to God. He goes, no, here's what you should do. Say, our Father. Jesus, who had been with the Father for all eternity past and has received the life and love of the Father and the glory of the Father, says, I'm sharing with you the most important relationship that I have. I, want, I don't want you to say, Jesus is Father. Say, our Father. Like, you were invited into this. That's the privilege. You have the security. You have the intimacy to the Father that Jesus had to the Father. That he is welcoming you into that. 
that you can lay yourself bare, that you can cry out, Abba, Father. You can cry out, Abba, Father, because there's resources that you need to pay bills. You can cry out, Abba, Father, because you don't know what's happening with your children. You don't know what's happening with your marriage. You don't know what's happening in your future. You don't know what's happening now, but you can cry out in the most intimate words, Abba, Father, I need you now. I need you here with me now. In excitement, you can cry out, Abba, Father. That is the access that we have to him by grace because of the work of his son, Jesus, and the Spirit helps us cry. And hear me on this. For, for those of us who are heavenly, like really, really heavily cognitive, we love theology and doctrine, and I'm one of them. Um, this is not just how much you know. You don't need a PhD in theology to cry, Abba, Father. And at the same time, those of us who are only looking for experiences, it's not that either. What this is is affections. It is understanding who God is, and it is something that you feel. It is something that God speaks even through emotion, and it looks different for different people. When the Spirit begins to express himself in you, it's going to look different. Some of you are going to raise your hands. Some of you are going to cry. Some of you might shake. You might get the chills. I don't know. There's not a standardized test, right? We've always taken those tests, right? And those of you guys who are good at school, you're like, I love those tests because they tell you you're enough. Those of us who weren't said we hated them because they told us you're not enough. <laughs> Go to this class, right? The spirit, the spirit is not saying this is how it's going to look for everybody, but it will be real. And every single one of us who are in Christ Jesus, you've had moments where you can go, man, God was with me in that moment. It could have been a weak, dark moment. It could have been an exciting moment. Man, he was with me. He, I knew it, and I was able to cry out, Abba, Father. The, the, the picture of this that first came to my mind when I was writing the sermon was, um, if you've ever seen The Patriot with Mel Gibson, it's, it's kind of like a chick flick. And then in, in The Patriot, right, uh, yeah. There, there's Mel Gibson, he's getting ready to go off to war, and he's got younger kids and a few younger daughters, and his one daughter hasn't spoken since his wife died. And he's, and he's going to hug him because he doesn't know if he's going to come back, and he's giving them all hugs, and he gets to his youngest daughter, Susan, and, and he looks at her and he goes, come on, can I just get something? Can I get a word? Something, something? She just looks at him. So he hugs her, and he gets on the horse, he gets on the horse, and he's getting to ride, ride off, and she goes, Papa, don't go! And there's just the scene where your heart, you know, like your heart just boom, right? He runs back. He's just like, I've been waiting this forever because he's been showing his affection and this love for his daughter. And finally, she was able to respond. I wonder if God isn't thinking the same way with us. I've been showing you my affection and my love constantly. I just want to see you respond. You don't make someone love. You outlove that person. You don't make someone have affection. You show them affections, and then you hope that they respond. God has given us a privilege. God has given us security. God has given us a spirit by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Amen? That's just good news. It might be good for you to go away today, maybe go in a, bath, a bathroom to your car somewhere and just scream it out for the first time, Abba, Father, right? People might think you're weird, for sure. Your roommate's like, what is he doing in there? <laughs> it must be amazing, right? <laughs> it's intimacy that we have with God. So we have privilege. We have security with God. We have intimacy. The last two things that we have is, is assurance and then inheritance. So first, it's assurance. Verse 16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit. That's who we are, that we are children. You know what we all need? Every single one of us. We need somebody to stand up for us at some point in our life. Sadly, some of us have had moments where we needed someone to stand up for us, and they didn't. We know what that's like. When we are not living like ourselves, or we're off, and there's a group of people around us that may be judging us or viewing us, and, and, and they're, they're, they're throwing things against us that some of it sticks, some of it doesn't stick to who we are as a character. We need someone who's there, who knows both parties, who has a power authority to speak on our behalf. Every single one of us, we need someone to stand up for us. In fact, that's how many of us receive our confidence. I, I was talking with a group of people, and they were saying, you know, why are you so confident? I'm like, I don't know if I'm necessarily so confident, but I do, I, by God's grace, even before I was a Christian, I've always had people stand up for me. Didn't have the best father in the world, I've always had people. I had other people's dad. They always stood up for me. When I found myself in situations where I had done wrong, I always had people, not lie for me, stand up for me. Paul is saying there, there comes a moment in your, in your own inner conscience. There comes a moment before people. It becomes a moment before demons, before the devil, be, before others that, that, that you doubt if you are a child of God. Every single one of us. Every single person who's a Christian, there's doubts you have. There's doubts you something you have about the Bible. There's doubts you have about Christianity. But there's moments in your life, whether because of sin or other circumstances, where you're doubting if God loves you still. That, that maybe God might have just thrown you back. M- maybe you were adopted into his family, didn't fit, and so, so he's going to give you back. Maybe. And in that moment, you need someone to stand up for you. What Paul says here in verse 16, when it says that it bears witness, that's the word testify, it's also in Greek the word where we get the word martyred from. The picture that Paul is beginning to paint here is that of a courtroom where the defendant is there, and there's some things that have been thrown her way that that shows evidence that she's guilty, and there's also evidence that says that she could be innocent. And so there's kind of a standstill. And the picture is that someone with more power and more authority comes in and speaks on behalf of her. What Paul is saying is, not only is there a privilege and there's security and protection from God, not only is there intimacy, but in your deepest, darkest moments that the Spirit begins to testify with who you are that you are God's. That there could be moments of weaknesses, there could be seasons of weaknesses, but you are God's. That he is a good dad. He doesn't adopt kids and go, never mind, go back. Go back into the system. There's no system to go back into. God invites you into his family, and you will always be there. You will always have a place at the table. And the Spirit is the one that testifies in the deep recesses of our beings that we always and will always belong to God. That is assurance. God will always stand up for us in the midst of our sin because of Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? That is the truth. As our Father, he always flexes for us. He always shows off for us. He always displays his love for us. That God so loved the world that he gave Jesus because he loves us. And this is something that we experience, that we receive by the Holy Spirit. He is the one who is bearing witness for us. We will have people in our life, when it comes time for them to stand up for us, they won't. And sadly, there's some of you in this room, Your spouse is not going to stand up for you or hasn't. Your brother, your sister, your friend, the people you love in Jesus, everyone in this world at some point, in some ways, they will fail us. 
God is the only one who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Those circumstances and situations that you've probably even done everything you can to throw everything you can at God just to test him. He's like, I'm not going to kick you out. I'm, I'm not going to leave you. I love sitting with um, families. I remember listening to this guy talk about how he adopted a kid. He adopted a few kids, and one son tried for years to see if his dad would really love him. Year after year after year, and this kid would just just bring all sorts of stuff to him. He's like, I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to love you. And he says one time, he said, you're not going to be able to get ice cream now. Everyone's going to get ice cream, and you've got to sit in the car with me. And he says, and I remember it clicked. My son there was 12, and he said, Dad, I, I, know, I finally know that you love me. And he says, why? He goes, because on Sunday, you, you always say that, on Sundays, you always say that God disciplined those he loves. I know you're not letting me have ice cream right now if you're disciplining me because you love me. And that was it. His, 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 his father had stood up for him even though he had thrown everything he could to, to make this dad go, you know what, I don't know if it's safe for my other kids. God, God, God knows it's not safe for his son. <laughs> That's why Jesus came to die willingly in order that we would be into this family and that the Spirit would testify with us. That is a privilege. We have security of the Almighty God who's our Father. We have intimate moments with God, intimacy with, here, even in our, and with Him even in our prayer life. And we have assurance that we will always be God no matter what. We will always belong, always belong to God no matter what we throw at Him. And lastly, there's an inheritance. Here, here's what Paul says here in verse 17. It says, um, And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That first part of 17 says that we are children, and if children, we are heirs. We're heirs with God, meaning we're co-heirs with Christ. We're heirs of God, co-heirs of Christ. Now, Old Testament, what an heir was was someone who would receive the land. When God told Abraham that he was going to bless the nations in Genesis chapter 12, and from there, every family, you're going to get the land, you're going to get the land, and that was the land of Canaan. When you get into the New Testament, when it comes to inheritance, it's far less to do with spatial as it is with understanding the God's kingdom, that we're going to receive the kingdom. Now, Jesus begins to say things like, my father has a big house and there's many rooms. There's going to be this banquet where we're going to eat with him. Um, we see in Revelation that the, the, the city of heaven will come down and renew this world. There's going to be the full restoration of all things, that things are going to be better, things are going to taste better, we're going to have glorified bodies. Let me tell you something. All of that is meaningless if the king is not there. It, it, it's all meaningless to sit at a table and eat and not see God. What Paul is saying here now, speaking in this Roman Greco context, is that in that day, again, if you were the heir, you would get the lion's share. A particular kid, out of all the kids, would get the lion's share of the father's inheritance. Um, now what he's saying is that if you were an heir of God, as he says here in verse 17, that means every single one of us it will, it will seem like to us, it will feel like to us that we have the lion's share of God. That our greatest inheritance is not to just be in heaven. Because heaven is not heaven if God isn't there. The kingdom of God is not the kingdom of God if the king is not on the throne. And so we begin to desire him. And we get to have him fully. And it will feel like to you as a person, me as a person, like, I, got, I get the most of God. And you're like, I, I get the most of God. It's like, sure, you think that way, but I know I really do, right? The, the person in the Bible that I feel like got this was, was John. Um, when you read the Gospel of John, you read all John's epistles, he's constantly referring to himself as the one in whom Jesus loved. 
And at first I'm like, what an arrogant, this dude is like, I'm the only one. <laughs> All right? I think he was just going, no, I'm not John anymore. I'm the one whom God loves. I, like what I need, I'm the one who Jesus loves. When it comes to our inheritance, we get what we lost. We get to have God. We are in his family. For, for, for a while, people used to teach that the problem that was wrong with this world was when Adam and Eve sinned, it jacked up our ability to obey. And therefore, our morality was off. And so what we needed God for was to bring about basically behavior modification and we could do better things now. That's why God came. And then centuries ago, a man by the name of St. Augustine came, came to know the Lord, and he began to see, no, it's not our morality. We can have good morality and not know God. What was lost at the garden with Adam and Eve was a relationship with God. Therefore, God comes to extend that relationship so that it may be reconciled. He sends his son Jesus to reconcile, to pay the debt, and then he sends us the Holy Spirit that we may be wrapped up into that love. So in essence, what we have is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all in this text basically communicating what they had from before eternity, all behind eternity, meaning before creation. The Father absolutely was self-giving and loved the Son. And the Son was self-giving and loved to the Father. And the Spirit accentuated that love. Creation in itself was an overflow of that. In response to sin, God continues to show forth his love, and he gives us Jesus to share in Jesus' inheritance. And that is to know, to receive, and live in the love of God as our Father. So he now loves us as much as he loves Jesus. And so at the apex of the gospel of having this privilege of being adopted, having the security of God, having the intimacy with God by the Spirit and the Spirit giving us assurance is the inheritance that we have communion with God, that we have been taken from the kingdom of darkness, which was our old home, and we've been welcomed into a new home, and life is best because our Father is there. Amen? Let, let, let me close with this story. I, I believe that communicates what Paul is saying here. Um, friend of mine, good, really good friend of mine, his parents were both drug addicts, and he lost his mother, and his dad was raising him, but his dad was still on drugs, heavily on drugs. Um, and someone at his high school was on his basketball team said, hey man, I talked to my dad, we're, we're going to bring you into our family. So as a sophomore, he comes into this new family, and he says, I don't even know how to act, and then we sit down, it was the first time in my life that I sat down at a table and ate dinner with the family. And he goes, now it just so happened that they were having lobster that night. And they're like, hey, we don't do this every night, <laughs> just every Thursday, <laughs> I guess, right? <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, and I'm literally that the stereotypical kid that gets adopted. I'm running around putting bread in my, in my coat on the way to school because I'm like, what if they don't let me back, right? And he says, after time, I begin to realize it wasn't just my friend who wanted me to live with him and be adopted. It was, it was, it was his dad. His dad really wanted to take me into the family. I had my own bed, and they brought me clothes. They brought me Christmas gifts. I was a child of, a, of this family. And he says, two years later, unbeknownst to me, my dad shows up at the door, my biological dad. And he's still meffed out. He's still on drugs. And he said, hey, I want you to come home. And he looked at him. He says, as hard as it was, I said, no, this is my new home. I love you, but this is my new home. What that communicates is this. We will always have the tension to go back to sin, to go back to the kingdom of darkness. Even though we quote unquote know better, um, knowing better is not going to withhold us from going back to that life. 
not knowing better, but knowing God. My friend was able to make the decision not to go back into that lifestyle because of what he had in this new father and his new brother. We, in Christ Jesus, realized it wasn't just Jesus who wanted to die for us and bring us into the family, but it was his father in which he wanted to share with us because his father loved us as much as he loved him. And we, by God's grace, we look to our old life and we go, no, this is my new home with God. Amen? Let's pray.